Hey, Sean Gaby here. Welcome to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast. Hey everyone, Sean Gaby here with the Supernatural Leadership Podcast, talking about the difference between principle-led leadership and presence-led leadership. We all have a leader within. Why not make that leader a little more supernatural? Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome again to another Supernatural Leadership Podcast episode. My name is Sean Gaby. Thank you so much for stopping by. Don't forget to review. Don't forget to rate. Don't forget to subscribe. Share it with your friends. And as you know, every month we've been having and featuring new guests, having amazing chats uh, around how supernatural leadership is affecting them and influencing those around them in the marketplace. And today, we have another very special interview, and it's with a man known as, to many in the music industry, Brian Head Welsh. And I'm just going to read, before we bring him on, before we introduce him, I'm going to read a little bit of his bio, just to bring you into a little bit of his story, because it's a big story. It's a long story. It's an amazing story. I know because of time, we won't have a lot of time to get into every little detail. So I'm going to read his bio, a part of a bio. And uh, just to bring you into a little bit of his journey, Brian Head Welsh was born June 19th, 1970, and grew up in Bakersfield, California. He found his calling at age 11 when he picked up his first guitar, voraciously practicing in a steady diet of hard rock classics filled in the ensuing years. And shortly after high school, he co-founded a metal band named Korn. Many of you know that band, Korn, in 1993. The band soon became a Grammy award-winning multi-platinum force that shot to the top tier of the rock world and dominated the new metal movement of the late 90s. Korn's 1998 Follow the Leader album cemented the band as rock titans when they debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, fighting off new releases from mainstream heavyweights Dr. Dre and Celine Dion. For his efforts with Korn, Head received six Grammy nominations, winning two while selling some 40 million records worldwide. As Korn continued to reach new creative and commercial heights, Head found himself drowning in the excesses of rock and roll. Far from immune to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, Head became addicted to crystal meth, spiraling out of control, even as he continued to sell millions of albums. He gamely but unsuccessfully tried to balance his career and his obligations as a single father to his daughter, Jenea. In 2005, he finally resigned from corn and turned to Christianity, dedicating his life to giving his gifts to those most desperately in need. Just months after his corn exodus, Head traveled to India to open up his first Head Home, an orphanage that provides housing, food, and education to some 200 orphans in the most unreachable parts of India. His philanthropic efforts continued to give relief to those in need throughout the United States and other parts of the world. And eight years away from corn, after eight years away from corn, Brian made the decision to rejoin this band corn, but this time as a much different person. And we'll be touching on this in today's episodes. Now, of course, like I said, at our time today, we won't be able to highlight everything, but I would encourage everyone out there listening, get a hold of this amazing documentary called Loud Crazy Love. It documents uh, Brian's journey transformation alongside his daughter, Jenea. You want to see this. It's a game changing documentary. It'll be of great encouragement for your leadership. So Brian, welcome. How Thank are you doing? Thank you for having me, old friend. We had a great time in Arizona. You were there. You're out there for like a week, if I remember right. Like we connected pretty, pretty good with some other friends as well. But um, yeah, it was awesome, man. Yeah, that was 2006. I do remember that. It was New Year's. And uh, that was back when I had dreads too, man. You know, I had dreads for seven, over seven years. I'm sure it's nothing compared to how long you've had dreads now. But how, how long have you had your, your, your hair for? How long have you had dreads for? I've had dreads for since, I think, yeah, I didn't have them when you were out. So probably 2011, I threw them back in. Oh, so you had them prior, but then you took them out. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, crazy. Yeah. I had them for over seven years. I actually developed like a, a neck issue because whenever I would wash my dreads and I'd put them up in this massive, like, cause at one point they were down to like, you know, almost my butt. 
And I'd put them in this massive like bun thing and my head would like weigh down. So I'd carry my neck kind of like to the side and I'd actually developed, I went to physiotherapy because of the weight of my dreads. What? So, yeah. So I don't know, man, maybe I was never designed to have them like you, but I don't know how you have them for as long as you do without develop. I still literally can feel like the neck tension from when I had dreads. Wow. No, I've been pretty good. So maybe Crazy, it just wasn't in your, uh, in your future. Dreads no, hey, you're going to laugh at this, but everybody listening, I text Sean and I said, listen, my landscaper's here and uh, can we push it back a little bit? Cause it's loud. So for the very first time ever, the landscaper left and came back and he's back and he's making noise. So I'm moving rooms right now. So forgive me. This is all, it's all good. It's unfiltered live raw so, hey, let's dive into this. So I met you back in 2006 in Arizona. We connected a little bit. Uh, and I connected with you really what feels like in the beginning of your spiritual journey. Now, like for the listeners out there, I know I read the bio, but bring us into a little bit of where your headspace was at in 2005, 2006, and how you got to that space in, in your career, in your life. Well, at that time, I was... I was just in a complete confused state. I had millions of dollars. I had all kinds of, of awards, Grammy awards, sold out concerts, but it was so like toxic around the band. It was like people were addicts. It was all about women, drugs, and the drugs became more uh, desirable than women. And it was just dark and and we're fighting and we could barely play the, 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 the songs, you know? I mean, it was crazy. I was on crystal meth for two years. We were functioning addicts though. It was like the more messed up we were, it's like, you know, our fans liked it or something. It was really twisted. And then um, I was just very empty, man. And I started having suicidal thoughts. And that's when I started to seek help a little bit slowly. I went to a, a a rehab specialist talked about inpatient, outpatient. I tried the outpatient. It didn't work. And that's when I was like, you know what? My, I'm, I'm, I had these friends that were helping me find real estate deals because I love real estate. I love investments. And I went in and I bought some land to develop a neighborhood with a partner. And they, that dude happened to be a Christian. But he was this wild, like freaking bold, loud uh, dude. He wasn't like, I always say it, but it's like Ned Flanders, you know, from the Simpsons, you, <laughs> you know, I thought Christians were like, this guy was like, he built monster trucks. He built Please hot go. rods. He was like in the car industry and killing it. And everybody looked up to him and he was a Christian. And so I was like, man, this guy's cool. He's got his, his family's all together. My life's a mess. And he's kind of taking me in as a friend, like to, to do some, uh, business with and he he invited me to church once and I laughed at him and just kind of made fun of him and, and shook it off and then one day I was like man what about that church thing you know and he said I'll pick you up and I'm like cool Sunday what time 10 11 he goes 6 a.m I'll be at your house and I'm like dang I'm a rock star I don't get up at 6 a.m what but, church uh, meets at 6 a.m or at like 6 30 a.m <laughs> He went to the first service. It was like 730. Man. And we were like a half hour away. And he liked to schmooze and talk to everybody. But I was like, all right, well, I'm going to stay up all night and do crystal meth and then go to church. That was my frame of mind back then. So I stayed up all night doing meth. I was all like cloudy and just messed up. And, and I tried to hide it. And the crazy thing is when I would do meth, I would go up real high. And then if I had to go do something that was professional, or practical and, and relational, I would take Xanax, a lot of it. And so I was like, I was messing with life and death because I knew of musicians that died from uppers and downers mixture, but I was doing it anyway. So I took Xanax when he picked me up, I was up all night, I went to church. And when I walked in, there was a song playing uh, Majesty. And that song will jack me up every time I hear it because you know, the song Majesty, your grace has found me just as I am, empty hand, empty handed, but alive in your hands. And I, I just walked in and the melody and the words were just like, 
I didn't know what to make of it at first because it made me feel emotional and I didn't know why. And then the guy started talking, the pastor got up and started talking about Jesus being real and that, you know, how he lives inside of us. And it's a real Christ. Like I never heard nothing like it before. You know, I only heard like the, the preachy annoying things on TV or whatnot. And so this guy was talking about how he used to be an alcoholic and beat his wife and God changed him. So wow. I raised my hand and received Christ. And he said, just, he said, bring all of your problems to Jesus, all of your sins to Jesus. He's not mad at you. And so I, I got like freedom when he told me. And so I went home and I was like, Jesus, look at this meth. That's a pile of meth. I'm addicted to it. What do I do? You know, I just started at, talking to him about all the bad stuff in my life. And I said, if you take this from me, you know, I'll, I'll be a better father, you know, please just uh, give me a new life. My daughter deserves a new dad and all this stuff. You know, I poured out my heart because the pastor told me to pour out my heart, wow. told the whole congregation. So I and did what, what he said. Can I ask you a question? What, yeah. uh, what, how old was your daughter at this time? Like what, at what juncture of life was she at? Five. Wow. So she was, uh, you know, I was like a put, put the kid in front of, um, uh, the Disney network, whatever it's called and, um, Disney channel. And, you know, I do go do my thing and she'd come and try to hang out and I'd say, you know, make her laugh. And then, okay, you want to watch Clifford, you know, and then go do my thing, you know? And so I had help, but I wasn't very present. Um, I had help with my parents and whatnot, but after that encounter, or after that church experience, I went home and just started praying, like I said, and next thing you know, about a week or two into it, doing the drugs, not doing the drugs, I was kind of trying to quit, but I couldn't. And the last night I did meth, I was looking through the Bible and everything was like speaking to me. And I felt like Jesus or an angel walk in the room and bring all of the atmosphere from that realm to, to our realm, all around the room. And I was like looking for a figure from from another dimension that like popped it because I would read stuff in the Bible and supernatural stuff. It was so real that I was like, I'm experiencing what I read. Wow. Where, where's, where is this being? And so it was, it was like a love from another dimension. It was a embrace that was like total forgiveness. And the atmosphere was filled with loving kindness. And you know, the, you know, the presence of God, yeah. obviously. It, it, and that and, was it. Let me just ask you too, like in that moment or in this, this culmination of moments, did you lose your interest in crystal meth or was it yes. like a slow process? Well, uh, I had quit for like a week and I was, I, and I was, you're supposed to sleep for like a month after you quit meth. If you're on it for more than like a month, I was on it for two years. So I was supposed to be down for the count for like four to eight weeks, just sleeping three days later after I quit cold Turkey. I was walking around looking at the sun. Everything was beautiful. I was, I was totally free for like a week. And then I fell back into it and I went on a binge and I couldn't get high the same way. It was like, I felt it's funny, but I was like in my messed up mind, I was like, Jesus lives in me now and I'm putting meth in me. Like, I don't want to get Jesus high. <laughs> no, but I was thinking like crazy things like that. Like it's a, he's, he's now here. And I can't do this anymore. And he was haunting me to do it. I was like, no. And then, so the last night I did it, I had this encounter where it's like the heavenly atmosphere came into the wow. room. I was done, quit. I, I never touched it since then. And uh, it was so real, but I didn't know what to do with the band. And uh, I actually went to the guys, the guy that was helping me with real estate and who took me to church. He actually encouraged me to stay in the band and try to make a difference there. But um, as he was telling me one day in his kitchen, I said, hey, man, I got to go. I'll hit you up in a bit. And I walked home and I quit the band. It was like God just gave me a clear knowing. And like I knew without a doubt that I was to quit the band. It was pretty simple because it's like my daughter is five years old. I wasn't the best dad, obviously. And um, it was time to step up to be a father. So that was it. Now, did you like... After all these years, I mean, I think from what I read, you're, you start you co-founded Corn in 1993. Is that correct? Yeah. 
And so that's a long time. I mean, you went to school with these guys and then all of a sudden in one moment you have this encounter and you quit. Did they, or could they see even outside of your spiritual encounter leading up to this spiritual encounter that you were on your way out? Was there any signs that you were on your way out or was this like totally a shocker to them on every level? Totally shocker from left field out of the blue. Is this a practical joke? <laughs> That's what they thought because the, we were on Sony music, Epic records for 10 years, 11 years. And they were with EMI at that. We were, we were off our contract finally after all those years. So they went to EMI and said, what are you going to give us? And uh, EMI ended up giving them $23 million and they're negotiating the terms. And then all of a sudden I'm on CNN, the guitar player for corn quits corn and leaves the drug life and finds Christ. And everyone flips out there. Like, what the hell is he doing? I mean, I got I'll, worse words than that. It was like, right. you, it was like, you're ruining our future. You're trying to ruin this deal. We got this huge advance. And so they were mad at me and I just left. And I was like, I, yeah, I grew up with these guys, but we were like dysfunctional family, man. We were all addicts, alcoholics. So it was like, I needed to get away. And I was, I was kind of having fun making them upset because I wasn't healed yet. And I, I felt like I was trapped in that situation and everybody was fighting. And no one liked each other that much. And so I kind of enjoyed making their lives harder when they're doing the record deal. Cause I knew I was going to, I was going to get a penny. It was the first 360 deal that any artist in the music history signed. And that, that meant that the record label um, shared in the profits of the merchandise of the touring of everything. It was a 360 deal and they started wow. off that thing. And so I couldn't get a dime of it because I wasn't going on the road to help sell that stuff. So, and I didn't want it. I was like, I want to follow Jesus. And I read about the rich man who, uh, who Jesus said, you know, leave everything and follow me and give to the poor and everything. And he, he went away sad. He couldn't do it. And I was like, I had the spiritual pride that I could do it. You know, I was like, well, I'm going to do it, you know? And so I was, I was immature. I was a brand new believer. I was out of my mind coming off of drugs, but the Lord used it all in the long run. For sure. I think the, the cool thing about our journey is that even in our immaturity, when there's a genuineness to our faith steps, God still meets us. Yeah, we make mistakes and we can look back. Hindsight is always 2020, which is it sucks on every level because you wish you could do things a little bit different. But at the same time, like if you had done it different, you may not be the man you are today. Sometimes the failures are the greatest setups for the future successes. I think like even in your immaturity, like God has still brought you full circle, which we're talking about in a little bit here about how you went on this eight year sort of incubation process with God to become the influence you are today, even more coming back into corn. But like my, my question for you is in 2006, when I met you, I remember you actually telling me a little bit of the story about how you walked away from all this money. You had all this opportunity. At what point did you realize that maybe, or did you start to think that you made a big mistake in how you went about it? Cause you said like you were immature. Did you feel like you actually, at what point, like at some point you shouldn't have left corn? Like, did you have your doubts like two years into your journey or were you solid all the way until the end of this eight year window where you were like, I'm good with never going back to corn again. Oh my gosh. I was so solid in my, my belief that I needed to do that for my daughter. And then when I met Patricia, and started having even more encounters than I had initially. That was like, that was the most, I'm still so grateful that God is so real in my life because some people go through the motions and just go to church on Sundays and don't really connect with God. And I was having, I learned to, to, to seek and to hunger for real life encounters with the living Christ angels and all this stuff, you know? And so I don't regret it one for one second. And my daughter had a present father, you know, 
And so I was so thankful and I'm still to this day so thankful that I left. But it was I would have dreams and nightmares and about corn all the time. And, you know, everywhere I went when I tried to do love and death or like the new um, music that I was going for, like there would be sometimes 50 people or less watching me and corn would be playing down the street to like 20,000. And so that stuff was hard, but it was like a a tug of war kind of in my emotions about the whole thing. But I'm I, I loved being off that huge train of corn that was just like going, going, going all the time. Right. So, okay. So now we're, so we're still in 2006. You have eight years of out of corn. You're writing books. Now you have a bunch of audio, autobiographies out. You have uh, probably a whole slew of new media stuff that you've been doing. You recorded another album, I believe in 2013 with your new band, love and death. And so Mm -hmm. did you feel like this was your new track? Like this is what it was going to be love and death you know, your new sort of faith journey, like what, what did you see unfolding on the next several years of your life? From, from 2006? Yeah, 2005, 2006. Like from there on, all these new things that you started to do, like, did you see this as your future? Like Love and Death, this new band you were going to start, this was going to be it. This was going to be like the new corn for you. Did you see it as that? I had these these visions that I think they were, uh my own visions but I I wanted to like my dream was to do like metal and darker music just like the heavier stuff but all with this uh, spirit filled um so it was going to be like a mixture of like darker music with evangelism right and I had all these dreams and imaginations of like a sea of people you know and and i would be doing like just full-on like tent revivals with music you know (laughs) and um i just i wanted to do something brand new and different and that didn't work out i kept trying to do i went solo first before love and death i went solo with brian head welch and tried to do it that way and it was just hard to get off the ground i realized pretty quick i didn't like singing I love to create music in the studio, but I didn't like to be the live singer. It just wasn't me. And so it took a while. And then I felt like I was like resisting something that I was called to do. You know, I had a bunch of mixed feelings about it, but uh, a lot of cool things happen mixed with a lot of crushing trials. Right when I met you, I started writing my book, my first book, Save Me For Myself. It came out in 2007. I was stoked because it released on 7707. And uh, so I was numbers. really stoked. And that book came out. It actually got on the New York Times bestsellers list. And I'm like, through the roof, like God is using me, you know, all this stuff. And then 2008, I, I started my solo project and Brian Head Welch and then started a label. Within about eight months, 10 months later, it was mismanaged and I lost the label quickly. The member of the housing market all crashed and there was a, a massive thing going on, especially in America. And um, I, won't, I went bankrupt. The label went bankrupt. I personally went bankrupt. I had to move out of Arizona. I went to Tennessee through the bankruptcy courts. I got accused of fraud on the stand. And if you are convicted of fraud in a, a federal bankruptcy court, it's jail time. And so I did not do any fraud, but it looked like I did. So I was just like barely making it trusting God through the whole thing. But it was like when when something crushing, like cr- totally crushed me to the ground, he would lift me back up and give me hope again. And it was the it was the refining process yeah. of forming Christ inside of my soul. Just like you said, when God made me able to return and to go to my future calling, which we'll talk about in a second, I had to get matured deeply through trials, tribulations, and encounters. Yeah. I believe truly those, like I would not take any of those crushing um, tribulations. I would not re go back and relive them and make them better because how hard they were developed a deep rooted faith in me so that, you know, I'm, I'm a totally different person because of them. 
Yeah, you know, every great leader goes through seasons of crushing. I think, you know, we talk about being supernatural leaders and really we always share this idea that a supernatural leader really is the difference between just principle-led leadership and presence-led leadership. Like, ultimately, we want the presence of God leading our leadership because when the presence of God leads our leadership, we can do things that make no sense. We can do things that are impossible, but to get there, we're constantly going through a preparation process of the development of our character through crushing pressure. I mean, it's like you had this eight year window now proving your faith was legit, not in a sense, like to God, like you're trying to like twist God's arm to prove that you're genuine in your faith, but in a sense, like it even almost proves to your previous bandmates your friends, all the people that you still love and know your journey and are wondering, is this like a season, a short season for Brian? It's like you went through all this stuff, went through hell in a sense, even after you gave your life to Jesus, a different kind of hell. You were in a different kind of hell before. Now you're in a different kind of hell, but really it's just to prove your faith genuine. So now bring us into now like, Back, I don't know, eight years later, uh, well, that's 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. What, uh, at what point did you rejoin Corn? Hey, everyone, before we continue on with this interview, I have some exciting news to share with you. The Supernatural Leadership School is now live. The platform has been launched with our very first e-course called The Voice of God Module. I would encourage you, head over to supernaturalleadership.com and sign up today and begin a brand new supernatural leadership journey. Yeah. And how did, and how, how did this happen? I would piggyback on what you just said and say, like, I think God was he mainly like wants to show us, like prove to us who we are so that we trust the Christ that's been formed in us. And we can look, look and be like, wow, yeah, I would not have wow, you've done a lot of me, Lord, you know? And so once I got to that place, I remember I released Love and Death Project, the first the first album. And mind you, I want to reiterate that I wasn't loving being a front man, but I felt like it was I was called to do it because it was a platform where I could talk about Christ, you know? And I did every show I talked about it and uh, told my testimony or stories or whatever the Lord led me to do. But um, we were having a hard time getting tours because I was the weird guy, the Jesus freak from corn who has this new band. And so when they heard it was from me, like some of the rock crowd, it was my band. They would be like, Oh, he's going to come and preach. We don't want him, you know, and stuff like that. So when corn hit me up, they offered me to, to rejoin the band and to take love and death on tour with them so i was like well, we're not getting any tours anywhere but the crazy thing that happened was my whole story was i left it all i left the 23 million dollars i left the fame to follow jesus so even when they asked me to come back i was like that's not my story you know i don't i left it all i don't go running back to it all right and so when they asked me, I turned them down. I said, thank you very much, but no. And I think the Lord started to show me that, you know, I'm, I need to follow him and not my own th thoughts or beliefs of what he, where he wants me to go, you know, because he did lead me away from corn. I did walk away from that $23 million. But after I said, no, I started having these encounters in my house I've talked about it before. My daughter was on vacation, summer vacation, and she was with grandparents and whatnot. And I had, a, I think, uh, a 30-day encounter at my house where wow. I barely left to go get groceries. That was it. I didn't see anybody. And it was like God was so real for 30 days straight. And I never had that before in my life. Wow. And I had like a, a couple of days, I had two weeks in 2007 after I met you that I had some really intimate things happen with, with God, but 30 days, I was like, how long wow. is this going to go? And wow. he started to show me the, the, 
complete unconditional love that he has for me, for that industry, for all the people that were messed up on drugs, just like I was, that he didn't just, you know, spare me just to spare me, that he wanted me to go and be around people. What better place to be, right, than to place someone that's been tested and proven and Christ formed in them in them to go right in the middle of a group of people like that. So during that 30 day encounter started showing me that. And, and that was it. I, I, I called the management and I said, I said, Lord, they're going to give me these few things. If they don't, then I'm not going. And I said, and three people that I trust in my life are going to say that they agree with me going back. If one of them says, no, I'm not going because I had heard someone put the Lord, uh, you know, do something similar. So I did those three things and the management answered every request. The three people that I trusted in my life, only one of them said, I don't think it's time. So I said, Lord, I'm not going. And then I had a birthday, small birthday party. That guy shows up and says, Hey, I feel like I was wrong. And uh, I feel like now is a good time. He changed his thing after I told the Lord, no. And uh, so that was pretty crazy, you know, and there I was back and, you know, just your your band, like your the band members had no feelings of nervousness that here you are eight years. You've had, you're on this whole new trajectory. I mean, I don't know at this point, your members, are they still on the same trajectory that they were on before you had your encounter? Like, and now you're coming back in a change, man. Was there any feelings of like, we don't know how Brian's going to be, or were you still in touch with them enough to, to have like that trust? Because I know that like when I had my encounter and kind of re-entered into some of the scenes that I was in to influence people were like, Oh, Sean's this like religious guy now. Like, and, the, and there was a little bit like, there's some walls, you know, with some of those old friends that I had had because they thought maybe I was going to be this judgmental, you know, Bible thumping believer Instead, they didn't realize that I was so changed that, hey, I'm just going to love them in their condition, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to compromise my values. Like, did they have any fear of you coming back in or were they like, we're, we're ready to accept Brian with open arms? Well, there was a, there was a concert where they played and I was a visitor at that concert and I tried to like stay away from them because I just... I wanted to be a guest and not, I don't want to make a big deal, but you know, God was up to different things and I ended up reconnecting with them, hanging out with them. They saw my daughter for the first time since she was five years old. So everything like kind of clicked for them. The guitar player who like is like one of my best friends, he looked into Janae's eyes, my daughter, and he was like, it all makes sense. All of that stuff back when he, they were hating me because I left and was messing up their, their business deal dealings and whatnot. It's like everything clicked and they understood why. And it, he was going, man, he did it for her. Look at her. Wow. He did it all for her. And he had a, a like a, just an epiphany, you know, of, of understanding. And uh, next thing you know, uh, the, they start playing. They asked me to play one song with them that day. I play one song and the singer breaks down in tears and he, he tells me after the show, thank you for jamming with us one more time. If we never do anything again, at least you gave me that last memory. Wow. Because he really loved all five of us and how we jo- we came up with the band and we grew up together. He's an emotional guy, man. He's he's very controversial, but in, in his heart of hearts, he's like a really sweet guy, you know? And so that was it. And and we had been watching each other in interviews over the years. So they could see the weird Jesus freak, Brian, that's like a repellent to anybody that, you know, I was like scaring people away from Jesus. I was weird. And then they could see me like settle down, have more peace. And so they knew that I was coming into my right mind. And so, no, they weren't afraid to have me back, but there was a couple, uh, a few instances of growing pains that we had to go through as far as like I don't know it was like the singer wanted me back but when I was back he was like oh god he's back you know and so and I wanted a real heavy corn 
because there's two guitar players again and and he was into like skrillex and dubstep stuff and so it was like why do you want me back if it's going to be electronic corn you know right right no there was a couple there was probably a year or two of growing pains that uh that we had to get through but it was mostly pretty cool and uh yeah a lot of a lot of cool things happened man and god you know what's crazy i've had i've had really passionate encounters with god off and on up to that point and right as i joined corn it was like i could tune in and feel his presence at will love it and for like three years it was so easy and so every time christians would attack me I could just tune in and it was like the Lord saying it, don't worry, you know, don't, it doesn't matter if they don't understand you got me. And he would prove to me over and over. Now that's kind of faded a little bit. It's, it seems like it's been a little bit harder the last couple of years, but he was very kind to me leading me back. You know, it's sad. Like the last statement you say, like, you know, when the Christians attacked you, cause I always hear this statement that Christians are the only people that wound their own you know and the majority of our attacks come from people that say they are christian that's another episode but that is very it's very unfortunate but it's a reality it's an unfortunate reality and um i think that's i love i love this part of your story i know we didn't highlight as much of now what it looks like now but before we come to a close i do can you share a few even one story of how now you're back in corn you're a changed man you've been accepted back into this fold you're back in this scene what does your leadership and influence now look like being in corn after eight years off um what did it look like now what does your faith look like you're going you're at a show people are coming to see corn bring us into a little bit even just one story that maybe stands out to you where you were able now to like share your faith in that context that's it went from like you being the front man of love and death and sharing your faith at every show to now you are in a band where that isn't their main objective, but that's your main objective in a sense, like to just represent Christ wherever you are. doesn't mean that you're preachy. doesn't mean that you're on the mic every time, but what does faith look like? Leadership look like influence look like from a spiritual standpoint now that you're back in corn. Well, it's a, uh, it's different, you know, every year, because obviously it was one way in 2019 and then 2020 hit, but around 2013, we got a Slipknot tour. It was called Prepare for Hell Tour. And, oh, the Christians went after me for that. You can't partner with evil and all this stuff. And it was like, wow, okay. So we get on that tour and I have this idea. I'm like, hey, okay, I'm going to bring this, this new guitar tech. He's going to tech for me, but he's also going to go find platforms during the day where we can go out into the crowd and talk to the fans and hang out with them after the show um actually there was a movie darren wilson who made the finger of god father of light finger of god too um and holy ghost that's the first one that i was in right i was at bethel actually and this random girl comes up to me and she's like you, do you know todd white and i was like yeah i met him before She's like, I see you do something with Todd White. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, we'll see if it's meant to be. Um, three days later, Darren calls me and he goes, hey, hey, Brian, I know we just met, but I had this crazy idea. What do you think for my new project if we brought some cameras to a corn show? I bring Todd White and you guys go out in the crowd and just see what God does. And I was like, crazy, man. I love my that. answer was, Darren, I'm totally uncomfortable with that. Yes. <laughs> the way every good leader should make a decision. <laughs> Whatever feels uncomfortable probably is the right thing to do. Right. Until it becomes comfortable. You got to exactly. get out of your comfort zone yeah. and face the fear and be bold, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm in some ways I'm, I was still timid back then in some ways, you know? And so God's always like, you know, will you step out in faith? And I think, I think it's it's a little hard at first, but it becomes totally natural and normal later, you know. And so uh, that tour, we saw many people come to the Lord. I saw uh, a Satanist. I love these stories, man. This Satanist who was a friend of this other friend of mine who who was a pastor slash tattoo artist. He has a tattoo shop to this day, and he's a biker pastor. And his friend was texting him. I feel this bliss, this 
this crazy, like supernatural peace. What's happening? And he's in the Slipknot crowd texting him that. And he's a Satanist. And he goes, come join us. Join Brian and Fieldy, the, the bass player for Corn, and they're going to tell their stories. He got radically touched by God before we even spoke or shut up. It was crazy. And I got to explain to him what was happening to him while the concert was going on. Before I met him, I, I was it was just nuts. Um, another girl, she confessed to us that for like a couple of weeks, she was the sweetest girl. She had the sweetest, purest little voice. Um, I have to tell. And she made her mom walk away. And she wow. told us that her friend had a deathly allergy to peanuts and she was putting peanuts in her food to try to kill her wow and confession right yeah and so we just we prayed with her and a lot of stuff like that was going on it's crazy stuff um another girl came up to me and said she grabbed my book and was she got mad at god because she was like i don't believe you're real this guy said that he felt you you know, and I'm reading it right now. Why don't you do that for me? Boom, it happens. She comes to a show and starts crying, telling me wow. that he answered her in her anger for not being able to feel him. Stuff like that, you know, it was it. just really, really crazy. Uh, I remember Robbie Dawkins, who was in some of Darren's movies, he came out one day and we gathered a bunch of people and this guy was drunk. And he started yelling at us saying, I thought this was an after party. You're talking about Jesus. Who wants to go to the strip club? Let's get out of here. And we just ignore him. And Robbie says, who here has a messed up back? This big old tattooed guy steps up and he gets healed. And he says, I, he says, I was in jail a month ago. I was in for two years. I did. I told God I would serve him when I got out and I haven't. Wow. And, and and Robbie says, that's this is the Lord's kindness. Even though you didn't keep his word, he kept his word. He's going to heal you. And now you can start today to serve him. And that guy that was drunk starts coming around. And he was like, how can he get healed? I hurt my back at your concert 10 years ago. And he's mad. And I start laughing because I already know what God's going to do. And I go, Robbie, this guy hurt his back at a corn show. And he he Robbie has the first jailbird pray for that guy and his back gets healed. And so wow. we have it on film Man. and the guy's in tears. And he asked me, do you think he goes, this stuff is real. My mom's been telling me about it for my whole life. And I go, bro, we're at a, a slipknot corn concert. And I'm telling people about Jesus. This is not popular. Do you think I would be doing it if it wasn't real? <laughs> and he's just crying, man. And so, you know, that. sometimes there was, there was some, uh, so there was some resistance and rejection along too. I'm telling you the highlights for sure. Some of it was like, just give me a freaking picture and autograph so I can go home, you know, and I don't want to hear about Jesus, but I would say, Hey, you want a picture? I'm going to pray for you. And I would tell them, Lord, maybe they're not ready. I pray right now that you would, you know, just open their heart and, and keep, you know, whatever I would pray. And I would look him in the eye and I'd say, I know you don't want this now, but you promise me. Just keep a little bit of an open heart to maybe one day. Will you promise me that? All right. <laughs> wow. It's a lot of promises, oh. man. <laughs> right. Praying that those promises come to pass. That's amazing. I Dude, love the Lord will use it all. I love it. A hundred percent. Like, and I love hearing that because for all the haters out there, all the Christian opposition that you've had out there, hopefully when anyone hears these stories, if they have any resemblance of, you know, maturity as a believer, they would see like, wow, this is legit. This is genuine. This is real. And I think this is what supernatural leadership looks like in the context of what you're living right now. And so I know like there's a lot of musicians out there, a lot of people, even in business in other areas of society that are just simply Christians in a business or Christians in a band or, you know, Christians in government, but there has to come a point where there's a crossover from which is just being a believer in something to a belief to a believer that's actually influencing that something with their faith. And I think that's yeah. what you are doing. That's what's happening right now. And so what would you say just as a practical activation, as we close here, if there's anything that you would say to those people moving from just being a Christian in a band, Christian in government to actually finding that bridge and crossing over to like, 
releasing your faith in those atmospheres? What would you say as an encouragement or an activation, something that they could do to take the leap, take the step? Um, I just want to add one thing to what you just said real quick, though. Yeah. When I would get so many doubters and, and, and haters try to make me turn into a doubter and and sometimes, usually I call them keyboard gangsters. They, they're so tough behind uh, their computer on Facebook. But there was a couple of times where I got face-to-face people and saying, you know, you're not of God, you're not da-da-da, and you're on the wrong way. And then some people would be like, I, I, I'm scared for your soul. And you know what I would do? I would take them and I would, I would pray a dangerous prayer for myself right in front of them. I'd say, hey, let's pray right now. Lord, if I'm in the wrong place in my life with corn or whatever I'm doing, please break anything in my life, anything you need to break to get me where I need to be, and I will go there in Jesus' name. And I would pray, and I would look at their face, and they'd be like, they couldn't say nothing. They're like, all right. So so I, he hasn't broken anything to get me to go a different direction. So obviously he hears prayers. And so I'm here doing it. So my, my advice for activation would be, you know, write your vision down. That's pretty, that's a lot of people know that, you know, you write your calling, you write your vision down and, and just dream about it and think about it all the time. But you cannot let doubters get you off course to what God is calling you to do. You have to be just find that confidence in the Lord by him, his confirmations over and over to you. Um, I don't know. There's so many people watching that have different callings, you know, and whatnot. And so I would just say, always be bold. Always be willing to try new things. Um, Practically, I was like, I didn't know how I was going to minister to people in that setting. And so I would, I would meet people behind, you know, behind the show by the buses and pray once in a while. But I, I had this desire in me to do more. And that's when Darren called me. And then that lit up, just it opened the doors. I know people all around the world that meet me at the concerts from ministries and we do it all around the world now. Now COVID has set that back, obviously, but now I'm online and I'm sharing my faith. You know, I call, I call these little sessions Saturday Soul, where I talk about the spiritual uh, lessons that I've learned, you know, through scripture or whatnot. And and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to keep quiet about yeah. what's happened to me. It's like I found a billion dollars and I know how you can find a billion dollars. I'm going to tell you. Well, I found the ultimate, I want, I feel like I won the ultimate lottery of the universe. I met Christ, you know, and he's real. And so how am I going to keep that? I'm, I'm just yeah. going to find a way. How am I going to keep that to myself? I'm going to keep sharing and asking the Lord to give me wisdom to share in a unique, different type of way. Yeah. And so I don't know. I love it, man. I think what you said, one thing you said, it stood out in that activation piece was that just try new things. I think that's a great starting point if you're in an industry right now whether it's entertainment media business government and you don't know how to cross that border or cross that bridge of making your faith practical in that space just start trying stuff even if it's praying for somebody if it's encouraging somebody taking time out to pray for someone's physical body because they're sick i i don't know what that looks like for you in your space but just try stuff and see what God does. I think that's what Brian did. I think it's what you did, man, is that you just tried stuff. You didn't have necessarily a pattern to follow. You didn't have a rule book to follow. You just walked it out and let it unfold organically. You let the overflow of your relationship with God touch every area of your life. And I think that's the best activation in something like this, just to try new things, man. I love it. I, as we close, Brian, I just want to thank you so much for this amazing chat. I know it encouraged so many leaders out there. Is there anything that we can push and promote, uh, for you as far as new things that are coming out? Anything you want to talk about that's coming up, that's coming out. Uh, you want to talk about your documentary, loud, crazy love. Like, is there anything that you want to talk about before we close? Um, I would just encourage people if they want to hear more, uh, 
like you talked about the loud crazy love documentary it's online you can rent it for you know three four bucks um crazy with a k loud crazy love um my book my testimony book is save me from myself if you feel like anybody may want to read a powerful uh a supernatural conversion story um yeah i mean love and death album just came out last year we got a new corn song just dropped last week called start the healing which i love and it's perfect for the way the world is right now you know we've all been through a lot and i don't know it's i love the song i know it's not like a christian band or whatnot but uh it's a very cool video but uh yeah a lot of things i really don't have anything in the works um right now so yeah if people want to go check out brian head welch one word in instagram and, and youtube and facebook and all that twitter brian head welch one word awesome so you heard everybody follow him on social media if you are not already check out uh, Loud Crazy Love, an amazing documentary. Listen to some of that new song, new tracks that he's talking about there. What's it called? Healing? What's it called again? Healing. Start the Healing. Start the Healing. Listen to that track. Get his new album. Get um, your new band, Love and Death. Has You have a couple albums, right? Out? Yes, we have uh, Between Here and Lost, which I love that title. I love the artwork. And um, it was when I was going through so many tribulations and getting that christ formed in me check out his music love and death it's all over all the music platforms hey everyone thank you so much for listening brian head welsh thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me on this podcast it was super awesome and uh want to encourage everyone out there remember you have a leader within so let's make that leader a little more supernatural we will see you next time if this podcast has been an investment into your life and or impacted you in any way we are incredibly thankful. We would love for you to join us in being able to continue bringing leadership content like this every month. Of course, it does not come without a cost, and our heart is to continue bringing you more improved quality and content. If you would like to partner with us with a one-time financial gift or to sign up as a monthly partner, you can do so at kingdomculture.ca. Thank you for listening to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast.